Get 12 weeks of The Spectator in print and online for just £12. And we'll give you a £20 Amazon gift voucher absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Welcome to Holy Smoke, The Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. Last month saw the translation into English of the Chinese government's new administrative measures for religious clergy, and they suggest that Beijing's deal with the Vatican is basically dead in the water, that President Xi has reneged on it, and that the Pope, contrary to what we understood of the secret deal, has no authority whatsoever to appoint Chinese bishops. All religions are completely under the control of the Communist Party of China. The new document hasn't been widely reported in the Western press, but one exception is Nina Shea of the Hudson Institute writing in National Review under the headline, China betrays its deal with the Vatican. Having secured the papacy's help in weakening the Chinese Catholic underground, she wrote, Xi Jinping's regime is reneging on the commitments it made in return. Beijing has quietly indicated it will soon abrogate its breakthrough 2018 agreement with the Vatican, which was meant to settle a decades-long dispute over the appointment of bishops in China. Now, this very credible claim has come at an extremely inconvenient time for Pope Francis, who this week is travelling to Iraq to visit persecuted Christians there. What's the connection, you might wonder? Well, if Beijing has used the naivety, to put it mildly, of the Vatican in order to increase its tyrannical control over Chinese Catholics, what confidence can Iraqi Christians have that Francis will use the full moral weight of the papacy to draw the world's attention to the continuing persecution and humiliation of Iraqi Christians and other religious minorities in the Middle East? Francis generally seems much happier playing, or at least auditioning for, the role of international peacemaker than that of international champion for persecuted Christians. Indeed, he's maintained a rather shocking silence on what's happening to Christians of all denominations in China, to say nothing of the Uyghur women being subjected to forced abortions by Beijing. He's also not particularly outspoken, shall we say, on the subject of Islamic atrocities against Christians. Immediately after an elderly French priest had his throat slit in his own church in Normandy, the Pope opined that it was not fair to identify Islam with violence and terrorism. It's not fair and it's not true. And he also said in the same interview, If I talk about Islamic violence, then I also have to talk of Catholic violence. I do not like to talk about Islamic violence because every day when I skim the papers, I read about violence in Italy. This one who killed the girlfriend, another killed the mother-in-law, and they're all baptised Catholics. So you can understand why there are anxieties among Iraqi Christians about the Pope's upcoming visit. Anxiety is not just about his safety. He may yet have to be called off because of an upsurge in coronavirus in the area, but about what his real agenda is. But if, on the other hand, he breaks with his usual habits and fearlessly draws attention to some of the most neglected, despised and persecuted people in the world, the Christians and the Yazidis from the Nineveh Plain, then the Pope will have achieved something remarkable. I've been speaking to the founder of Nazrian.org, a charity that supports and finds work for Christians and other minorities in the Middle East. He's Father Benedict Keeley, a priest of the Ordinariate. 
And despite his loyalty to the Pope, there's no mistaking the anxiety he feels about the direction of Vatican foreign policy, both in Iraq and especially in China. I began by asking him about Iraq, which is somewhere he's spent a lot of time, often in very dangerous circumstances. The Christians in Iraq are certainly hoping and praying that the central focus of the Pope's trip is going to be highlighting the persecution, the terrible persecution that they've suffered in Iraq, but also all across the Middle East. That's what's so critical. It's not just about Iraq. But there's a concern that he will shift the focus towards interreligious dialogue and towards dialogue with Islam and make that the central point of the visit, which, if that's the case, I've been told by several people in Iraq, priests and others, that they'd almost rather he didn't come if that's the central focus of the trip. And shouldn't Francis also be drawing attention to the fact that Iraqi Christians are second-class citizens in the country? They don't enjoy the same constitutional rights as Muslims. I'm right in saying that? Yes, you are right. The Iraqi constitution does not guarantee them the same rights as Muslim citizens, and he does need to speak, as it were, the truth to power. He needs to challenge the Iraqi government, and it has to be said the Kurdish government, because he's coming to Kurdistan within Iraq to give Christians, Yazidis, other religious minorities, the same rights. They're always second-class citizens. They've been second-class citizens for centuries. And of course, in most countries where Muslims are in the majority, Christians and other religious minorities are always treated as second-class citizens. That's not good enough. It's not good enough in the 21st century. So that is a very, very important feature of his visit. Well, I think it would be a very welcome, but also very surprising feature of his visit. Because on the whole, Francis seems interested only in abuses of human rights as he sees them carried out by the United States, particularly under the Trump administration, which he detested so much more than various Marxist dictatorships. And he seems very reluctant to condemn Islamic abuses of human rights, whether they take the form of relegating Christians and other people to dhimmi status or whether they're terror attacks emanating from other strains of Islam. I think that might be true. It's certainly the case that he's been rather outspoken. For example, the famous time when he was on the plane just after Father Jacques Hamel, the wonderful 85-year-old priest in Normandy who was martyred while he was actually saying Mass by Islamists. The Pope was questioned about this and he said, if I speak of Islamic violence, I must also speak of Christian violence. I was in Iraq around that time and I remember that caused some consternation and, and anguish because Christians are not causing violence. Perhaps everyone always goes back to the Crusades, but Christians have lived in peace. They're, they're the peacemakers in many cases in the Middle East. They were attacked, their women were raped, their children were kidnapped, and to equate Islamic violence and Christian violence from centuries before is, is not really acceptable. Well, talking of things that aren't really acceptable, I want to ask you about the Vatican-China deal. So many things about it were unacceptable, even if things had proceeded smoothly. That is, if the Pope had been given the nominal authority to appoint Chinese bishops who were little more than party goons. 
But these new administrative measures in discussing the appointment of the higher clergy of all religions, that's including Buddhists as well as Catholics, makes absolutely no mention of the Vatican or the Pope in the section devoted to the Catholic Church. So, Father Ben, what do you make of these recent developments? This agreement, the China-Vatican agreement, which of course is still secret, nobody actually knows what was agreed, but most of the details seem to have come into the public eye. And yes, you're completely right. The central point was that it was an agreement. It was a bit like the Vatican Ostpolitik of the 60s and 70s, which really was a failed policy. John Paul, coming out of Eastern Europe, really called that to a halt. But this agreement appeared to be some way of trying to get the underground church, which, let's not forget, had been faithful for decades because of their loyalty to Peter, to the successor of Peter. That's why they refused to join the so-called patriotic church. And now this agreement was meant to mould the two together, but the Pope would have the final say. And very importantly, when people say, well, we don't know what the agreement said, very importantly, the Pope himself was quoted shortly after the agreement in 2018. He said the appointment of bishops is his final, it's his final word. He said that. Now, in a very dry order, order number 15, which appeared in the Chinese press just after the renewal of the agreement in November of last year, that's all gone. It's all official Chinese appointments of, of priests, bishops, and priests and bishops must also make their oath of loyalty to the state and no foreign power or interference, which effectively means, it's, I know it's a strong word, but effectively means they have to commit to being apostates to breaking their link with Rome, with the successor of Peter. So some people are saying to me, I've spoken to experts in this area who say, well, the Vatican was stupid. Apparently so, very stupid, if you think you can do a deal with a regime like the Communist Party of China. But I wonder also if it's not just stupid, not just naivety. From some, there was something else going on. I, I'm just not sure, but it's an awful mess. It's a tragedy. And it's a betrayal of those wonderful men and women, priests, bishops and laity, who have stayed so faithful for so many, many years. Well, when you say something else going on, perhaps you're referring to a startling degree of ideological sympathy for Chinese socialism, as they call it, from certain people in the Vatican. I seem to recall Bishop Sorondo saying something really rather peculiar a year or two ago, a couple of years ago, about the Chinese state embodying almost a Christian teaching. It caused great consternation, but also amusement. The trouble is it isn't really funny. It's, it's, it's quite ghastly. Well, the exact quote from Bishop Marcelo Sanchez Sorondo, who's Chancellor of the Pontifical Academy of Sciences and the Pontifical Academy of Social Sciences, said in an interview with Vatican Insider that at this moment, and this was 2018, a few months before the deal was signed, those who best realise the social doctrine of the church are the Chinese. That is, the same Chinese who are forcing Uyghur women to have abortions in an attempt to eradicate their ethnic group from the face of the earth. That's Catholicism, is it? Sorondo is an Argentinian, so he comes from a part of the world, as does the Pope, where for many years the Chinese version of communism was far more fashionable than the Soviet one. But maybe he also buys into this crazy integralism that we discussed in the last episode of Holy Smoke, a belief that the state should be guardian of people's morals and indeed religious beliefs. 
Which, incidentally, might also throw a light on the Vatican's rather benign attitude towards certain varieties of Islam. The idiot Sorondo also said that on a recent trip to China, he found that the Chinese seek the common good, subordinate things to the general good, which is rather integralist in favour. I found an extraordinary China where young people don't do drugs, there's a positive national consciousness, and the People's Republic of China has defended the dignity of the human person. God help us. But under the heading of other things going on, there's also the question of money. The Vatican hasn't got any. China's got limitless amounts of the stuff. That is a big question. No one knows the answer to that. It's been brought up before. There are people who've made allegations. It's certainly something that needs to be investigated. But yes, it's true that there are questions about what kind of financial input the Vatican is receiving from China. China is the empire now and it's using its tentacles everywhere and it's got vast amounts of money and it's using it wherever it thinks it's worthwhile so why wouldn't it perhaps use some money for this deal i can't confirm or deny this well i think the fact that we think it's even a credible possibility is a testament to the very troubling degree to which power is prioritized over theology under this pontificate I mean, even if Beijing hadn't apparently reneged on this deal, the Pope would have been giving, implicitly anyway, his blessing to the only Catholic liturgies which are permitted in Communist China, which are those in which the ideology of the state is prioritised in an almost pagan way over the teachings of Jesus Christ, which are officially subordinate to those of the party. So we're talking really about a syncretistic religion and one that the Vatican was prepared to incorporate into the Catholic Church. Apparently, hymns are now songs, because they're not hymns, you can only sing a hymn to God. Hymns and songs are being sung in praise of not just the Communist Party, but in praise of Xi Jinping. It's beyond distressing. The analogy I use is, is the Reichskirche in Nazi Germany. It, it's, a, it's a state church. Its job is to support the state not to preach anything against the state. It's far from the underground church. And the man I respect, and I know you respect him very much, Damien, as well, I believe you think he's a saint, and he may well be, is Cardinal Zen. Cardinal Zen of Hong Kong, this brave man, this man who stood up for freedom and for freedom of religion, he said when the agreement was made, and he's been consistently critical of the agreement, he said that basically it will kill the underground church, which has been the faithful church. And he even urged priests, faithful priests, he said, go back to the fields, go back to your families, go back to the fields and work in the fields. You'll still be priests, but don't sign up to this state church, which is is not a truly Christian Catholic church. So if, if someone like Zen, Cardinal Zen is saying that, he's the man I would look to as an authentic believer. And perhaps you can remind us what happened when Cardinal Zen last came to Rome to communicate his concerns directly to Pope Francis. This is, uh, one always tries to look at things trying to be positive, but it's very hard to be positive. Cardinal Zen came to Rome, he asked for an audience with the Pope, and he was denied an audience. He was basically, effectively had the door. This old man... This old man travelled all the way from Hong Kong to Rome just to ask to speak 
to Peter, and Peter said nothing. I think you're about to say there that he had the door slammed in his face. It appears to be the case. Peter certainly didn't open the door when he was knocking. That was Father Benedict Keeley of Nazarene.org. Now, I know that there are plenty of quite complicated arguments in defence of what appears to be the now defunct Vatican-Beijing deal. It's perfectly true that the distinction between the patriotic church and the underground church had become quite blurred in parts of China. And it's also true that the Vatican, particularly under Pope John Paul II, but also Benedict, was prepared to countenance quite considerable concessions to the government of China. The point to bear in mind, I think, is that after Mao, it did seem as if the Chinese government was moving in the direction of a much less ideological state, even nodding in the direction of liberal democracy, despite the atrocity of Tiananmen Square. Under Xi, however, everything's changed. Sinicization represents a massive return to ideology, although it's not the same ideology as Maoism. For example, it incorporates elements of Confucianism, something unthinkable under Mao, and those Confucian elements emphasise the importance of the family as a stable unit, something that no doubt goes down well with the naive negotiators from the Vatican. But in the end, we can't blame all this on naivety. Let me say it again, this is a pontificate that prioritises power, over theology. Faithful underground Catholics in China, and also faithful Catholics and other Christians in the Middle East, could be forgiven for thinking that the Vicar of Christ, having been entrusted with the keys to the Kingdom of Heaven that Catholics believed were handed by Jesus to St Peter, has casually tossed them in the direction of the Chinese Communist Party. It makes me wonder what would have happened if Francis had been Pope at some point during the persecutions of the Roman Empire. And it had been suggested to him that a little nod in the direction of imperial syncretism would smooth everything over. It really doesn't bear thinking about.